This is the Ready for Baby podcast, a podcast about pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond for new and expecting parents. I'm Gigi, a postpartum doula, newborn care specialist, and lactation educator. My goal is to streamline the newborn learning curve and empower parents. Today, you'll listen to my conversation with Haley, a registered dietitian who's an expert in pre- and postnatal nutrition. She's been working with women from trying to conceive through postpartum for her entire career. Helping women have healthy, confident, and feel-good pregnancies is her mission. She believes that if there's any time in life to make sure nutrition is a priority, this is it. She makes it simple by providing updated, evidence-based information so people are no longer confused, overwhelmed, or spending hours on Google. Enjoy our conversation. Hi, Haley. Welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I am doing pretty well. I'm good. I'm excited to chat with you about uh, prenatal uh, nutrition because I feel like this is something that we're just handed a piece of paper from our doctor and it's a lot of myths that we have no clue really what we're doing. We just think like, oh, we can't eat um, deli meat and sushi and that's all we know. Yeah, it's crazy that I feel like it's getting, I, I guess maybe I'm a little hopeful that it's getting better and better, but at the same time, like what you're saying is exactly, you know, what I hear all of the time. And even what my own personal experience was with my first pregnancy, which I was just mind blowing at that being my experience. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get into this field focusing on fertility and prenatal nutrition? Yeah. So I've been in this field for about just about eight years now, if not over eight years. And I kind of started working in this space. I actually used to work for the women, infant and children program, um, which is a federally funded program, you know, for women, um, pregnant with, or moms that have children up to the age of five with giving them vouchers for access to foods that, you know, in the past have really shown where the deficiencies were. So that's where I started within this, within like the fertility, prenatal, postnatal nutrition space. And then honestly, I've just like fallen in love with it since then, just because, you know, at the end of the day, like, I feel like when you really look into like the nitty gritty of nutrition and like public health concerns, you know, we, uh, that we have with like chronic diseases and illnesses and stuff like that, like, preconception and during pregnancy is like the biggest place where we really have, you know, impact on correcting these. And so it's just one of those things where it always draws me back. And the fact that, you know, it's incredible to think that while you're pregnant, you know, well before, but at the same time, also while you're pregnant, like you have the ability to impact, like not only your own health, your baby that you're growing health, but then like your future grandchildren. And just that is always just so mind blowing to me that it's just like something that keeps me in this space of why it's so important to really give people the nutrition information that they need and deserve for us to just really, um, be able to, you know, make an impact overall. And it just like amazes me that like through my career that, you know, something that is so vital, right? Like eating, drinking, all of that's so vital for just life, right? In general. And then like all of a sudden we start getting into this chapter of thinking about conceiving and having and starting a family and, you know, even a lot of times during that, that starting phase of that conception space, we're kind of like, yeah, like 
probably should start eating better, but I'm not pregnant yet. Right. And so, oh, that's okay. Like, I don't have to wait. I don't have to start just yet. But then there's something about that positive pregnancy test that just like makes eating, drinking all become a space of just like this overwhelm, this worry, this confusion, guilt, and just like, and then we go to the doctor for our first prenatal appointment. And depending when that is for you, because I find that to be all over the board of when that first appointment was, I know like my first appointment, I went in and I like peed in a cup and I was like, I've been doing this already. What do you like? Why am I here doing it and paying you to do the same thing? I just already paid for pregnancy tests to do, but I wasn't able to get like my official first appointment until I was 10 weeks. And that was because they wanted to avoid, they wanted to avoid an in, you know, utero, like ultrasound. They wanted the most highest chance to be able to get the ultrasound done on my stomach. And that, but that's a long 10 weeks by yourself. Um, and when you just get a piece of paper and you, you don't even have the piece of paper yet. And so you have 10 weeks of like, I want to say like the hardest 10 weeks of pregnancy. And I, and I know that every person and all of our journeys are different, but every person would say that that's different, right? Like where their hardest part of pregnancy is. Cause I just say really at all times, pregnancy is just kind of a roller coaster. You just really never know what's going to come at us. And, um, but just to be alone in that space for the first 10 weeks, because I don't know about you, but like my husband didn't know, um, what to tell me to do or like how to manage my morning sickness or how to like, you know, what foods you hear already, how many foods to avoid before you even get that piece of paper. And so he had no idea on that space. And so you're all alone in such like a crucial period of your life where all these feelings then come up and then the guilt comes with it and all of that stuff from, you know, just the typical pregnancy symptoms that you get and you don't even know how to navigate them. And so just really seeing the fact of like how confused and overwhelmed and just like all those feelings coming into my office on a regular basis when I started and just like the mixed information practitioners give to was so like disheartening and just like I just like wanted to like hug every woman who came in, who was just really trying to do her best one, whether it was like growing her child, like inside of her during pregnancy or helping her child continue to grow healthy outside. And it was just like, I, like I said, I just wanted to hug them and be like, let me tell you, you're doing a great job. And like, let's talk about this and make this simple for you versus having that worry, guilt and overwhelm around food and beverages, like how crazy is it that, that just like spurs that on? <laughs> yeah. And I think you touch on the fact that like, we're not given enough information about it. We're just told whether it's from our doctor or like our families of you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, or take a prenatal. And especially those first few weeks, the first two months or so you're feeling the worst. Mm -hmm. So like my first pregnancy, I didn't really have too much morning sickness, but with my second pregnancy with my twins, I was literally just eating ruffles. That was the only thing I could keep down. Mm -hmm. And I felt so bad about it. And I was mm -hmm. trying to do all of the right things, but that's then on me to go and find all of those right things instead of, you know, our doctors or 
nutritionist telling us what to do. So what are the things that we're like getting wrong? What are the myths that we're, that the things that we're told you can't do this when you're trying to conceive or you're pregnant, but that those things are just flat out wrong? You know, there's a, it really depends on what space you're kind of looking at within this space, right? Because I mean, at the end of the day, our guidelines and our like pieces of paper that we're getting enough foods to avoid are like decades old. It takes forever for our guidelines to catch up to research. And so, you know, the common things I always see is like, you know, deli meat, soft cheeses, um, you know, fish becomes one of them. Uh, gosh, I hear like the world on a regular basis. Like people bring up pineapple to me. They talk to me about caffeine and all that stuff. And really at the end of the day, the thing is, is like, there's not one food that is guaranteed to be like a hundred percent safe or a hundred percent unsafe. And like, that's why it's really important to know the facts and be educated with like, what are the risks? Like really like statistically, like deli meat, for instance, like 1600 people is what the CDC estimates per year get sick with listeria, right? 1600 out of our like 325 million um, population. And not to say that like foodborne illness isn't a, like a serious thing when it happens during pregnancy, but you can see that the risk is so small and that the thing is, is like one, it's giving those facts to people. So they understand, but at the end of the day too, it's like, okay, then let's talk about two. What are the ways that you can reduce this risk further? If it is something that you are craving or that you want, um, or the only thing you can imagine stomaching at this point. And then at the same time, like, remembering that everyone has a different level of comfortability of risk benefits. And those are very individual, right? So I'll take eggs, for instance, like runny yolk eggs, you get so much nutrition out of the yolk, you're getting like 50% of your clothing needs with two eggs, like on a daily for your daily needs, like you're getting like B vitamins, protein, like healthy fats, like things that your body like needs during pregnancy. And if eating an egg with a runny yolk is really the only way you can stomach eggs, like the benefits from that are going to outweigh the little minimal risk that it is. And then there's certain things we can do. We can really go and like buy pasture raised eggs as we see that that increases even further of a chance of a foodborne illness from it. And so just like things like that. So there's so many like pros and cons to really weigh out when we're looking at things and ways to like avoid and decrease risk even further. But I feel like we don't even educate. We just say like avoid with anything, right? Like think of the fact that anytime someone tells you, you can't do something, it is like our natural tendency in our brain to go, Ooh, but I really want to do that. And it's like, you don't even need to like, you can never have ate deli meat for like a years before getting pregnant. But then the second you see it on that list, you go, Ooh, that sounds really good. And now I feel overwhelmed and guilty because I'm craving that. And I really think I'm going to cause harm from eating that. And really it's talking about the risks that come with it. Like soft cheeses in America are like 
I mean, 95% of them are pasteurized. And then if you choose to, you know, eat a cheese that's not pasteurized because you go to a farmer's market or something like that, like you can have a conversation with the, with the farmer and talk to them about their practices, right? Because those practices are ultimately going to lead to where your risk really is. And even pasteurization, right? It's, it's heat. That's like a treating process that helps destroy like the pathogens, the bacteria and food. But just because something's been pasteurized too, doesn't guarantee something is completely safe. And so the thing, I guess, at the end of the day that like, we couldn't be more wrong in the fact of just giving a list of red, like a red stop sign and more, we could be so much more powerful educating women on what the actual risk is. And then the steps of just most of your regular food, like food safety measures, like taking those is going to greatly decrease any risk of majority of your foods. Now, currently, what are we seeing? We're seeing a lot of foodborne illnesses, outbreaks from like produce, like romaine lettuce is like the top one, but you never see that on an avoid list because, you know, heaven forbid, if we actually give the 100% transparent information, because then we think we're going to talk about how many people will then not eat produce because we told them that romaine lettuce is the top one when we can simply say like, Hey, like romaine lettuce has a high outbreak. So what are some other greens that we can include instead that don't? And then how do we wash our greens and really decrease that risk further? And so that with raw shellfish, we see still great, um, risks and then like sprouts. So like bean sprouts, mung sprouts, like those we're seeing a lot of outbreaks. And then Unfortunately, like tahini as well, we've seen a lot in the recent, um, you know, space. So it's really staying current on where, where are we seeing um, those outbreaks happening and what foods are those that they contain. But I, I get a, like a little list that literally is emailed to me on a regular basis. And I'll tell you, like, there's anything from, you know, packaged things to produce. And so that's where I always say that you know, unfortunately, every time we're eating, we are taking a risk. But I then also say, how many times have you been sick (laughs) from a foodborne illness uh, prior to pregnancy even and being mindful of that space? But, you know, there's just some things that like runny oaks and I would runny yolks and then like fish, I think are like some of the top two that are such a fear driven space that strip women away from really being able to get the nutrients they need during their pregnancy and are really doing more of a disservice than they are of, of doing a service because we then just stay away. And then we tend to not eat as much or, you know, stay away from the foods that are really nutrient dense for us. Yes. So it's not as black and white as we're led to believe. And I know. And like lettuce and I think ice cream are really big, they have really big listeria outbreaks. And if we told people that like, it's not just these foods that we hear are risky, it's things have an inherent risk, like you said, and you need to be informed about lowering that risk. And I think coffee is another one I hear, like you can't have coffee the whole time you're pregnant when it's just about reducing it. Yeah. And really at the same time, you know, like the studies for all the study, like every study out there that talks about like 
eliminating it. There's another study that talks about the benefits of it and they like outweigh each other. And really like when I've dug deep into the research, really what we're looking and seeing is kind of like trending would be like more of a better suggestion of like 150 milligrams of caffeine um, and staying underneath that on a regular basis and including like coffee and chocolate and like the whole nine yards of that. But you guys have to also remember too, that a lot of the studies we see are doing caffeine in general. And so that includes like our sodas, um, you know, like caffeine containing beverages in general, which then also have a lot of added sugars and other things in it too. You know, poor coffee gets drug into this whole mixture with it. And so I think that that's like the biggest thing to remember too. And like, we do see research that does show us that like at the beginning of pregnancy, which a lot of women have aversions to coffee. I think that's something that's like really not talked about. I dealt with that. Like I'm like, I love coffee. I have like a cup a day. And the second, like I was pregnant, my body was like, you will not drink coffee. Like you will step away. And I was like, oh man, like really? But at the same time, like if we really listen to our bodies, like you can take a sip of that coffee. And really, if you're in tune with your body, you will get these signals that say like, please stop. We're really trying to stay hydrated right now. And this is not helping us. And so we do see at like the beginning weeks, kind of when your pregnancy is at the most vulnerable state. And for those of you who can't see the fact that I'm doing um, quotation marks, it's just the fact of like, we consider that to be a vulnerable state, but I mean, there's just a lot of things that are out of our control during that time that consider that time to be vulnerable. So don't think that like your, your caffeine intake is like going to make or break that vulnerable time. There's a lot of DNA stuff happening at that time too, but you know, and then if we have a high risk pregnancy, something to think about, but you know what the thing is that no one ever talks about is the quality of coffee. They never talk about like, making sure that like your coffee beans don't have like toxins in them that they're not like brewed a certain way like and we think decaf is so much better but when you really look at a lot of the ways that decaf coffee becomes decaf it's usually a chemical solvent that is actually being used to decaffeinate the coffee right which is not really any better than the caffeine of the coffee and so really paying attention to your quality of coffee too I will say you probably will notice a huge difference because I have moms who will try coffee and then there's a few brands that I absolutely love that are very quality and they'll then have that and then the GI distress and all that stuff that comes with coffee a lot of times is not happening because of the quality of the coffee too. So some of those things to also keep in mind that I think that coffee just gets a bad rap, but then talking about the quality of it doesn't get talked about. That's a good point. I'll have to get the names of the of the coffee brands that you like. Yeah. Because I think that's <laughs> everything. Like if you're talking about sushi, the quality of sushi, yes. the type of sushi, yes. that makes a big difference too. You can't just say, I'm never going to have sushi or what a lot of people that I speak with do is like, I'm just going to have it one time, but you could have it mm-hmm. just be a little bit, you know, have your investigative skills out and find a good quality one. Exactly. And that's like the thing too. I always say with sushi, like use it as a good reason to go on like an expensive date night. Um, because you know, you're, you're, depending on where you are to make such a huge difference. I'm in Minnesota. So like, 
the fact is, is like all fish needs to be flash frozen for 24 hours before they even ship it because it's coming a long way. But, you know, so it is a little bit more spendy for us because we don't have as like easy access to it. And so I was just say like, use it as an excuse for your, like your partner to take you out on like a nice date and, you know, go have it and feel comfortable with eating it and stuff like that. And then, you know, just being mindful of some other things, you know, too, of just, um, you know, sprouts not being a part of it and those types of things. Um, and, but yeah, it's like, it is, it's quality that really matters a lot of time that we forget. And so that's sometimes too, like a pro and con to weigh is like, am I willing to spend the money to have this be quality? Right. But at the same time, I will say like, when it comes to raw fish, we're really particular about that of the quality. Right. But like, at the same time, like we know that, you know, fish cooked, like whether that's like salmon that's farmed or, you know, canned salmon or, you know, um, wild caught salmon that, having any one of those sources is better than not having it at all. So each topic kind of has a little bit of the ins and outs. Nothing's just completely black and white. I wish it was, but nowhere in nutrition and any topic of nutrition will you find it to be completely black and white. And um, I will say that one of my clients did really make a really great statement that I absolutely love. And she said, I don't know why people always look for free advice because for everything that's going to tell you to do something. There's going to be another source that tells you not to do something. Um, and at the end of the day, like it's not specific to you as an individual, which is why it's free advice. And I was like, amen to that. Cause <laughs> that yeah. is really, cause everyone's journey is so different and everyone's comfortability is just different too. I think that fits so perfectly for pregnancy and preconception and postpartum because everybody's needs are different. How everybody's feeling is different. Our cultures and what we usually eat are so different. Everybody is coming from a different space. So it's really an, a topic that's not black and white, like a lot of stuff with, with having babies. <laughs> yes. Even parenting is not black and white. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of points of view, a lot of advice. So you kind of have to sort through some of that. Mm -hmm. So what are the most important things when you're uh, trying to conceive and you're pregnant? What are the things that we absolutely need? You know, so some of the things that I think that we absolutely like need, I feel like is to remember that like our main goal of everything is consistency, right? Was with consistency of providing our body with like the foods that include the nutrients that increase during pregnancy. One, I would say like a lot of people are deficient in is thinking of choline. A lot of people are deficient in that and aren't, that's not on a lot of people's radar. Iron, we continuously see, right? Um, especially towards the end of pregnancy. And that's a whole soapbox and we could do a whole thing on that. But like DHA, so really those omega-3s, which are coming from fish and um, those sources as well. Um, magnesium, um, vitamin B6, uh, folate, of course, everyone's heard of folate. And then thinking also too of just like protein, right? And so some of like, I would say like some of the top foods that like provide those things are going to be your like your seafood in general is going to also be one um, iodine, I would say also a lot of people don't realize that they have kind of a deficiency in the iodine space. And a lot of people do. That's really a reason why a lot of people crave like dairy products. I think at the same time to debunk, like low fat is not 
a great thing to be consuming if you are trying to conceive or pregnant, like full fat is the way to go. So enjoy like your like butters and enjoy like your whole milk and stuff of that nature as well, because you strip, you know, vitamin A, D, E, and K from all those things when you go the non-fat route and those nutrients are such a huge need during pregnancy. Um, and so I'd say, you know, full fat dairy products, looking at seafood, um, also, you know, thinking of the fact of like liver actually like organ meats from animals are huge and you can hide them, like hide the meat in things. And there's actually uh, brands out there now that are like actually mixing in organ meats into their ground meat, which is amazing. Um, so thinking of that eggs, I can never say no to them. And then, you know, just thinking of just, you know, fiber needs in general. And so that, I mean, you know, nuts and seeds, I think are highly unra- are underrated. Like they provide such great nutrients. How do we get all of those foods? I know we get, um, you said full fat dairy. I know you yep. said um, fish, but for like iron, for instance, how would we get more iron? How would we bring this into our, our diet? Yeah. So iron, you know, the biggest thing is, is that there's two different sources of iron, right? There's two different kinds of iron. There's hemi and there's non-hemi sources of iron. And so hemi sources of iron are animal-based sources of iron, which that looks like your red meats, your poultry is, um, and those, and, you know, even seafood goes into that space. Um, and your non-hemi source of iron is going to be your plant-based source, but we know that hemi sources of iron are absorbed, Um, significantly more than non-hemi sources. And I think the thing that we also forget about is the fact that when we do eat non-hemi sources of iron, we really want to focus on vitamin C intake at the same time. And, you know, trying to think about um, bringing down calcium rich intake at that same time. So kind of reconfiguring some of your meals and snacks could be very helpful just to increase that. And then at the same time, like looking at certain things, cause like some vegetables, it is going to be better to like spinach, for instance, like cooked spinach is going to give you significantly um, higher chances of being able to absorb that non-hemi iron. Now saute it in with some like tomatoes and you're going even further. Now saute that in a cast iron uh, pan and you went even further up in the amount of iron you can get. So some of those like easy things. And so really focusing on, I would say like protein overall, because um, I feel And when you focus in on that, a lot of times your iron will come with it within that intake. And then if you are someone who chooses to be um, a non meat eater, or you don't tend to eat a lot of meat, then I really would like highly suggest working with actually a dietitian to really be looking through how you with the way that you're currently eating can really look to increase that iron. Um, within that just because those needs skyrocket and then I always say like you also need to be like an advocate for yourself and be like checking your ferritin levels um, which is the storage of your iron throughout your pregnancy hemoglobin and hematocrit are great but they are also impacted by your um, folate b12 status and other things 
And at the same time, we really want to be watching that ferritin level because if we see it decreasing, then we know that one, your, your diet. And if you are supplementing that it's not making enough of an impact for your body to actually absorb it. And two, we then may need to look at how your gut health looks like if we're not seeing good absorption with the amount that you're intaking. Um, so some of that stuff is really important too. And something I recommend to monitor on your own, cause that is a lab that is easily added on, but not one that your practitioner will do on their own and can be so powerful to keep you out of going into an anemic state before delivery and to avoid postpartum depletion. I kid you not guys, like if I could, like, there's one thing that I always say is like, I know during pregnancy, baby is our main focus and main priority, but like you have to take care of that baby after it comes earthside. And so you've got to take care of you too, because we need your health to be good. Um, and we need those stores to be there for you as well. And you, you just have to like, remember that. And I just think that sometimes we wait too long. And then, especially when it comes to iron, then we have to be really reactive versus proactive when it comes to correcting any of those deficiencies. And it just puts us in a really huge time crunch. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you don't want to be facing that postpartum depletion and you don't want to be hemorrhaging or anything like that. So you talk about asking your provider for this blood work and these tests. When do you recommend they do it? And what type of tests do you recommend people ask for? Yeah. So one, it would be, one of the things is, is I say like when you're starting to plan for a pregnancy, you should start looking at your labs then, because that is the best time, especially if you are someone who has the, who is someone who is thinking about it, planning um, it out that if you, I mean, it takes like three months, a lot of times for us to make a significant difference on your labs. And so if you are like that far out, like that is the time to definitely be looking because this is that, that's also the best time to start working on these things, right? Like these are the best times, like when you're in preconception and that three to six month window, that's the best time to be finding a prenatal vitamin that really fits your needs. This is the best time to start adding in foods that really provide nourishment to you before and during your pregnancy. A lot of foods that like are going to help you get pregnant are going to help you stay pregnant, which are also going to then help you recover from pregnancy, which are then also going to be the first foods that are recommended for you to introduce to your little one when they're six months. So I promise you this education goes for so much further beyond just this like little chapter. And so I really recommend to have like good baseline labs done in that preconception and really working with someone who can actually tell you what labs should be done because sometimes there's certain symptoms that might be going on that we might need other labs. And that's why I say it's really individual, but as a baseline, you know, it's really looking at your like insulin and glucose, your A1C levels, really seeing how is your body controlling your blood sugars in general, just because we know that that one is such a big deal for like our longevity health wise, but at the same time, that's a big deal of managing symptoms during pregnancy too. And then at the same time, I always say get a complete blood count. So it's a CBC, always too looking at a comprehensive metabolic panel just to see what's going on with like liver, kidney function, those types of things. And then looking at your thyroid, I think that that's something that is hugely missed. And I kid you not, you have to 
ask for the specific thyroid labs you need because if you only ask for thyroid lab, you will get TSH and that will be it, which is a great like guideline and base. But at the same time, you know, working with someone who is going to help you with optimal lab levels versus normal lab levels, because there is a difference in between that. Um, and then I would be looking at vitamin D that's missed a lot. And a lot of people are deficient in it that I believe covers like the baseline of just some of those things. And then like, depending if you did that lab work at the preconception would kind of depend what you need during that first trimester. Cause some of the things that if we see are doing well, um, you know, we don't really need to like relook at them. Like if you got a low vitamin D, like you want three months of making corrective action, um, before retesting that. So it's kind of like figuring that out, but then any ones that you're working on, I'd always recommend on a trimester basis to be looking at those and then keeping track of, I would say your ferritin is definitely what I recommend every, um, trimester. And then if there's anything that we're looking to make sure that we're making an impact on. You wouldn't be relying on your OB or your provider to understand and like process these labs completely, you would potentially be working with somebody else to guide you through that. You know, the reason, so I love providers and it just depends on the provider really at the end of the day and what they've um, decided to do their continuing education in, because a lot of providers it will just look at those normal ranges and those normal ranges like do not get your thyroid taken in pregnancy. If you do not have someone who specializes in looking at thyroid labs through pregnancy, because your thyroid goes through a whole new <laughs> roller coaster during pregnancy. And you will have a lot of things where you are thinking you're being flagged for that will be false flags. But it's, I just constantly see the fact that we are looking at the normal ranges from providers, unfortunately. Um, and don't see providers taking the time to look at what pregnancy levels are and what optimal ranges are. And that's just, I know like people have different experiences out there. I just, a lot of my clients and I mean, like, I just don't see it very often happening. So unfortunately, yes. Or working with a provider that, you know, is really like up to date in that space and has a passion for that space. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we can't expect providers to do everything and we can't expect them to know everything. There's a lot of stuff we have to outsource, unfortunately, or yes. fortunately we get yeah. more educated people involved. Yeah. So <laughs> what are the things that you wish people knew about during pregnancy in regards to their nutrition, if there was like one thing you really want people to know, what would that be? You know, I think the one thing I would say is like, honestly, like would be like trusting your body. Like this is a time where like, we really have a tendency to bring in societal fears of things, whether that be weight gain, how much we're supposed to eat, the amount we're supposed to to eat what foods we're supposed to not supposed to eat like all those things and really like I just want to say like lean into your body and listen to it it's going to guide you like you don't need to focus on calories you need to focus on nutrients and like the thing is at the end of the day like your appetite is going to ebb and flow 
you're, you're not a robot. I always say that. And so remembering that, but I would really say it is just like about trusting your body and really leaning into it and getting to know it just even more through this journey and just giving yourself the, the grace that it deserves as well. And like really focusing on what can you be adding to your plate versus what should I be taking away from my plate? Yes. I love that. So listening to your body, if there, if you're somebody who like me, I was really sick my first trimester with one of my pregnancies and I didn't really feel comfortable eating anything. How do you handle that? Is it that you're like leaning more on your vitamins? Is it that you're just like, yes, I'm not really going to eat anything. How do you handle that? You know, I really think that at the same time, like during your journey, you need to ask for help and the support that you need and that you deserve to have. And so really, I think that it's like working with someone who can help you navigate that space and figure out what's best for you, because there are a lot of ways that even with you just saying that small thing in my head that kind of go off as like, well, did you try this? How about this? How about that? Like these types of things that, you know, they're we do need to listen to our body and lean into it. But I think at the same time, a lot of times during that first trimester, and I will say it's all through pregnancy because there's just, I feel like sometimes once one door closes on one symptom, another door opens on another one. And it's kind of like, I feel like we're kind of out there like battling, like, okay, that door closed. It's like hungry, hungry hippos. Like where's the ball coming from next? Um, and like, it's different when you have the toolkit, right? Like everyone kind of asked me like why I didn't feel like I dealt with a lot of symptoms during my pregnancy. And I had the ability to problem solve because I had the toolkit that had all of the ways to do it. And I knew how to eliminate through them. And so I really feel like working with someone who can help you and support you is really going to help you figure out in that situation, what is the best way to go about that? Like, is it trying to get like a smoothie in every day? Is it relying on your supplements? Like, where are you? Because the only reason why there's not such like a blanket answer for that is because at the same time, like we've got women who have like hyperemesis gravidium, like that's a mm -hmm. nausea ball game that has a whole different strategy than like the, the nausea that typically comes with pregnancy. And so it's really that individualized help, that personalized support is just going to benefit you so much better um, in those, in those spaces, unfortunately. So like with everything, it's not black and white. <laughs> <laughs> I really try to make it black and white, but it just doesn't work out. <laughs> I understand. So my last question, if you have a, like a day of someone being pregnant, what would be like a perfect breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack that you would give them? Oh my gosh. What would I, per a perfect, what would I give them? Yeah. Well, first, um, so always making sure that like we have paired, paired like protein, healthy fats with like our carb sources and stuff of that nature. And so if I, if I kind of listed it out, like your breakfast would be something that you really focus in and make sure that you hit like 20 grams at least of protein. So what does that look like? I would say like a couple of eggs, um, maybe it's some, um, you know, berries on the side with like a couple pieces of like, let's just go bacon and have some avocado with that. And maybe like a piece of sourdough toast just to like 
put it all together. And then snack, I would say, you know, really bringing in like those nuts and seeds. Um, so one snack I would say would be a go-to is like a smoothie and thinking though of like, you know, full fat Greek yogurt, having chia seeds in there, having, you know, fruit in there, having also like spinach or kale in it, hiding it with the, you know, masking it with a banana. So like all those great things in one. Um, and there's like a million ways we could go about doing that. And then lunch, I mean, and it's really hard to like give a specific because like you said, like our needs are so different based on us and then like our culture and stuff like that. And so I am a Caucasian woman who is very Americanized. And so my idea of this space is so much different. And so then like, I feel like lunch would be, I'm going to go like more like a fish route. So like, let's go with like maybe a slice of, you know, a piece of wild caught salmon with some veggies, with some grain of your choice, like whether that be quinoa, brown rice, um, lentil rice, like whatever that looks like. Um, and, you know, thinking of it that way. And then a mid-afternoon snack, I always love snack plates because you can just do whatever you want with a snack plate. And so, you know, like pretzel crisp, like cheese, nuts, veggies with like a dip. Don't forget your veggies with healthy fats guys. Cause you increase the amount that you absorb by like significantly when you have a healthy fat involved with them. So just kind of like a cheese plate of like, and then like some chocolate and stuff like that too on it, like have fun with it. And then I would say for dinner would be like a recipe with like hidden liver. So one of, uh, like a go-to in my household is like, um, meatloaf with hidden liver in it because you can't taste it. It's mass, Brussels sprouts, potatoes, great hearty dinner with lots of great nutrients. And then a lot of times a bedtime snack is very great. Um, and my favorite thing always to do is it to be a little bit more on like the sweeter end. And I really enjoy kind of doing like kind of like a homemade like sherbet, but with like full fat, like like whipping cream, um, with like, so like with berries and make like your own, like whipping cream on top, but add some collagen powder to it. If you're not getting like slow cooked meats and stuff in there. Um, but that's a great way to add that to it and have a little bit of, um, a protein source. It's not a complete protein, but a little bit, um, but the fat and then, you know, something that you enjoy and like a delicious little thing that doesn't take long to do. I used to make like batches of homemade whipped cream with like collagen in it and just like keep it in the fridge for two, three days and just like put it on top of berries. And it's, uh, it's, it's really good. Um, and a lot of my clients really enjoy it too. That sounds good. I'm going to try that. All of that sounded, that sounded great. <laughs> I'm hungry. That is just like off the bat. Like this is me without like a nutrition analysis. <laughs> You've got all your fiber, your vitamins, like all these things, which is what I usually am doing when I'm putting together meal plans of any sort. So that's just off the top of my head. So hopefully I'm not a nutritionist, but it sounded great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So tell us how people can find you and how they can work with you. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at prenatal.nutritionist. I'm also, uh, I have a website called nutritionwithhaley.com nice, simple. And then with working with me, I have a nourish baby and me foundations program. And so if you are feeling that pregnancy is being super overwhelming, super, you know, confusing, and you really just want like a simple answer, evidence-based information, and just to feel good, be confident and have the healthiest pregnancy 
that you possibly can have, come and check out my Nourish Baby and Me Foundations program. Um, it, it got, you know, we've got everything from community to coaching one-on-one with me um, to also like a, a curriculum where you can have everything right at your fingertips. And so that way you don't have to second guess ever again, nor turn to Google. And that way you are also having me to navigate all those hungry hippo balls coming out. Um, for any symptoms that come up. So you can work with me through the Nourish Baby and Me Foundations program. And if that's something you're interested in, always reach out to me. I'm always an open book to talk about anything within that space and whether it's the right fit for you or not. So yeah. Thank you so much. I'm excited. I'll link all of that and um, many of the other things that we talked about today. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thank you. You too. Did you enjoy my conversation with Haley? If so, then please share it with a friend. Also, subscribe and leave a review so this can get in front of even more people. Thanks. See you next week.